Good morning, Victory Church. How we doing? Are you in shock that it's August as well? I want to know who stole my July. I'm just saying. It's just a blur. People are coming back to the university and asking, how was my summer? And I ask, uh, has it started yet? I, I keep waiting for it to start. We've been traveling, been going around like crazy. Like Pastor said, uh, tomorrow is uh, my wife and I are selling 24 years together. I feel like a puppy. Yeah, thank you. I feel like a puppy compared to 64 years and then last, you know, the pastor's 50 years in ministry and marriage. Uh, you know, I say these things every time I'm here, not because I have to, not because I feel, but it just feels like, man, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks, right? I love the leadership of our church. I absolutely just adore pastor. Uh, he has just become more than a pastor. He's a very, very dear friend to me and mentor. Uh, just love working alongside of him. Uh, his work at the university is just second to none, just an outstanding leader. And uh, I was compared, I was called uh, uh, basically a backup quarterback by another member of the church. He's like, oh, I love it when they call you off the bench. You're like a backup quarterback. I'm like, I will walk in his shadow as long as they'll let me. I keep waiting for him to figure out who I am and stop asking me back. I can't figure it out. But I'm just honored to be here. I love our pastor, love his wife. Uh, I just get a little insider. If you know him well, uh, I feel really good about his recovery because he's feisty already, right? He's already not obeying any of the commands. That, uh, that's, if you know pastor, you know. Uh, if I'd have come in this morning, he said, well, I'm taking all my medicine and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I would have been a little nervous. Uh, but when I heard him say, they say four, I say two and a half weeks, he'll probably make it a week and, and, and surpass everything they said. So it is this, it's a great time. Man, it is an honor to be here with you today. This church holds a little, just, it's just kind of a unique space for me. So I'm in the green room this morning, and a longstanding member of the, of, of the, of the church comes in and introduces himself to me. And uh, when he realizes my last name and my, my relationship, I was born in Lakeland, Florida, when my dad was a pastor here. Uh, years and years ago, and my dad was actually the one that led him to the Lord at the altar in 1972. That would have made me uh, one year old uh, when he came to faith. And, uh, and so fast forward to this moment, it's 1128, so I'm assuming that our very own Josh O'Connor is preaching right now uh, at my father's church who is retiring in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, after being there for 37 years. And so uh, we love Josh, and what I love, we raise leaders up and send them out. Some of you may not know, I used to babysit Josh. Just full disclosure, he was a brat. I'm just going to lower it out there. He's not here anymore, and I always tell him, you got to love me, you're going to hell. That's on you, right? Just, uh, he's grown up to be an incredible leader. Uh, and so it's just kind of unique today that I'm here speaking, and, and he's up there trying out for what we think is God's next step for his life. You think it'd be okay if we just breathe a real quick prayer for him? He's already in it. Hey, Father, this is our boy, your son. He's family to us. And we just simply say this, Lord. Just lead and guide his steps. God, I just pray that the anointing is just fall right there on 1105 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina. Lord, let your presence come. Let it be a powerful time around the altar. Let this group of people just hands down fall in love with Josh and Brittany. And God, if this is your plan, Lord, let it be unanimous. Let it be all there. And we pray that. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. How you answer the questions of your life will determine the path that you take. Would you agree with that statement? Right? So, so the title of the message this morning came to me in a very unique place. 
Uh, uh, they called me this week, said, hey, we want you to fill in for pastor. Surgery went a little bit longer. So I got all of my uh, sermon, uh, you, you know, the, the, the scripture and the, the three main points, but I forgot to put a title on it, right? Now, how many of you know sometimes you feel like you're walking in an extra grace of God? You just feel like you're in a sweet spot, like the Lord is just smiling on you. Well, that was me Friday afternoon after work because I was on the front of my bass boat uh, flipping a grass line, fishing for bass, and I missed the call from the office, uh, and so I, I pull in a, a nice five-pounder. And if you're a bass fisherman, that's a pretty good day. I'm not mad about a five-pound bass. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. This is a good life. I look down at my phone, and I have this message that says, uh, hey, you didn't include a title to your message for Sunday. Victory needs your title. And to be honest, I hadn't even thought about a title. And I looked down, I'm like, well, I'm anointed because there's a five-pound fish in the boat. We might as well just go on and name it right now. And so full disclosure, the title of this message uh, came to me on a lake in Auburndale, and here it is. The question, the answer you've been looking for. We're going to look at John chapter 14 today, and I'm going to give you kind of the context of a pretty intense conversation, and this is kind of the premise that I want you to think off. Every season of life that you're in comes with unique questions of that time period, right? So let's, let's just rewind my life back. Age 16, the question I'm asking is, how do I sneak out of the house and not get caught, right? I'm a knucklehead running from God, getting into all sorts of trouble. Parents are way smarter than I ever gave them credit for. Magically, we had a safety and security system installed on the house. Mom and dad sure made sure my bedroom was on the third floor uh, with a window going out on a three-story building. I remember one time asking my dad, hey, dad, uh, you know, for fire purposes, uh, you know, I probably need a ladder uh, to roll down out of my window. You wouldn't want me to get caught. He goes, nope, not going to happen. You better be prayed up, son. Okay, all right. Then you move on, and God gets a hold of my life, and I start asking the question, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? What am, what am I going to do? Uh, and I struggled all through college with this idea of feeling called but not liking the church. And if you know me, you've heard that story. We're not going to tell it again. And, and I just remember having that question, and then I, I settled that question. And I'll never forget this moment. In Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I'm looking in the eyes of eight students in a youth ministry that they, they somehow had this crazy idea of hiring me. And I remember being so overwhelmed at looking at eight, eight sets of eyes. And here was the question that came out of my heart to God. Lord, are you sure you have the right guy? Do you, do you not know what a knucklehead I am? I, Lord, I'm responsible for their lives. How am I going to do this? And then I moved on. And when we had kids and they grew up, I remember before they grew up, I remember holding Ethan in the, in the hospital and looking down at this little beautiful kid. He looked like a little old man with long fingers. And I just looked down and I was going, God, what a miracle. Lord, how am I not going to mess this kid up, Lord? What am I? God, please help me. How am I going to do this? Well, then fast forward, they became teenagers. I began to ask a whole other realm of questions. <laughs> Lord, what did I do to you to deserve this? <laughs> Jesus, how am I going to survive? No, no, no. Wrong question, Lord. How are they going to survive the next five years of their life? Right? So you start asking. So all of these questions, and I know that in this room over the last five years, I've had a, 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 a large group of friends, mostly young couples, that have found themselves in some pretty agonizing circumstances. Uh, the loss of a child. 
And I went most of my ministry career and really didn't have to. 17 years in the local church, I didn't deal and interact, didn't have a lot of this. And in the last five years, I've had some very close friends and some young couples, and I'm, I'm just happened to be in the car processing with them after losing a child. And, I, and, and they asked me this question, you know, what, am, what are we supposed to do now? How do, you, how do you get over this? And there's the question for the season that they're in. What do you say to that person? Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through some stuff in your life, finances or your marriage. How are we going to put our family back together after dad made a stupid decision or mom made a dumb decision? How are we going to make ends meet now that this is not happening anymore? And you have all of these questions. And my answer to these young couples has always been the same. They'll ask me, how do we get over this? And I'll look at them and say, I have no idea. I cannot tell you how to get over something I've never experienced, but I can tell you who can help you. I can point you in the right direction. And so the idea that I want to unpack with you today is the answer that you've been looking for. The problem with the church is oftentimes we try to solve our own problems with own manpower, our own human effort, and we fail to remember who we are, whose we are, and how we dial in to that relationship with God. And so let's talk about John chapter 13. I'm going to set the context for you. They're at the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples the closest people in his life, and he is about to give them some bad news. But it starts something like this. They get into the room, everybody's there, and the scripture says in John 13, at some point he got up, and he took his outer garment off, and he wrapped it around him. And we know what he did, right? What did he do? He started washing feet. He's a master. He's the teacher. In this culture, it's unheard of. You don't do that. And our, our knucklehead Peter, he gets to Peter He wants to wash his feet, and Peter goes, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Now, you don't see Jesus muscle up on people too long, too much in the Scripture, do you? He's usually kind, gentle, he's healing people, you know. He looks at Peter and muscles up on him. He goes, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. It's a pretty strong word, right? And then Peter, in his subtle fashion, well, then, Lord, if you're going to do it, wash all of me. And God, Jesus just gets frustrated with him. He goes, son, you don't need a bath. That's not what this is about. You're missing the point. I'm trying to show you something, and you're missing it. And what I love about when we we see these interactions with Jesus is I'm always confident that he never expected you and I to get it right all the time. He knew we would blow it it on a regular basis, and he has grace for us in these moments. And so he looks at him and goes, you don't need a bath. Just trust me. (coughs) And so he begins, and he washes their feet. Then he begins to start talking about one of them betraying him. Peter leans over to John. He says, John, find out who it is. The Bible says that Jesus told John, whoever I dip the bread into the wine and hand it to, that's the person who's going to betray me. And then he drops a bomb on him. Have you ever been in a family meeting or somewhere and you got news you didn't expect? You may have had a hint, but all of a sudden it was so earth-shattering that you couldn't find your bearings. Here it comes. He says it in John chapter 13. In verse 31, I'm going to read just a couple of, 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 of these scriptures for you. It says this, uh, he, he dipped the, uh, the bread and the wine, gives it to Judas. Judas takes off, and verse 31 says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. 
And they're looking going, what? Verse 33 says, little children, only a little while longer will I be with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He drops a bomb in the middle of dinner. He goes, I'm leaving you. Somebody's going to betray me. So imagine, here's the guy you have been following. You've seen him do incredible things, miracles, preaching. No one in your life you've ever met like him. And in one dinner, he washes your feet, something he's never done before. He talks about someone betraying him out of the group of their closest friends And then he drops the bomb and says, "Um, by the way, I'm about to leave you. And where I'm going, you can't follow. And so you get this sense from reading this passage that the whole room starts to get very nervous and very upset. And Peter asks him, so where are you going? Where are you going that I can't find you? Lord, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. And he looks back at Peter and he goes, really? You'll lay down your life? Because before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. So now we're going to get to the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look into today that I think that's going to lead us to this place, the answer that you've been looking for. Verse 1 of chapter 14, it's the, the sixth I am statement of Jesus. It's probably one of the most powerful statements in my opinion. It is the summation of the gospel. And here it comes. Sensing that they were not doing well. Here's what he said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Let me say that to you again. You know the way to the place I am going. Now listen to Thomas in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Here it comes. Jesus is about to utter something that will change their lives forever, and I believe still echoes in the church today, giving us confidence and hope and faith. Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me read that one more time. Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, eyes to see what needs to be changed, Lord, and the courage to take the next step in becoming who you have called us to be. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this. And everybody said, amen. amen. So have you ever had a question you offered up to God? How are you going to get me out of this one? Lord, how did I ever get here? Can you help me? Thomas is coming from a place of absolute confusion, a person who says, I can't, I can't live my life so disheveled and so out of control. How many of you resonate with pastors' uh, need to be in control and drive? Come on, can you say amen? The idea of having someone drive me around for two weeks, that's a lot of anxiety. I'm a controller. I want to be able to go and come as I please. That's the way I'm wired. 
Thomas, I think, was a lot the same way. He goes, I don't understand. I don't know where you're going. How am I going to know how to get there? And if we'll look at, the, at face value, what Jesus is talking about is, the way to eternal life is me. The Father and I are one. You can't get to heaven apart from me. I am that way. You're going to hear a lot of things over the next few days, but I'm going to tell you right now, I am the truth. And I am the life. Right? And so Jesus has been saying this, and they're saying it, but for you and I to listen to how Jesus responded to Thomas, I think there's some things that you and I can pick up. And I think there's some people in the room today, you can find the answer that you've been looking for. Because here's what I know. That in a room this size, and the message that pastor has been speaking, challenging us, and there are people in here that you're far from God. You don't know Jesus. You're not following him on a day-in and day-out basis. And all I can tell you right now is today your question ought to be, God, are you real? I want to know. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of you to come. You're like, well, is it even worth my time? It's the greatest decision I've ever made in my life is to follow Jesus, all of my heart, all of my soul, everything that I have. Why? Because listen to how Jesus responded to Thomas. When Thomas gave him his doubt and asked him his question, Jesus didn't give him a recipe. He pointed to a relationship. He said, son, I'm not going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you who. And when you're talking about and dealing with the problems and issues of your life that every one of us face in whatever season you're in, here is what I'm going to tell you. Don't worry so much about the how. Worry and focus on the who. Man, in the moment of your troubles and in the moment of your struggles, the last thing we should do is isolate ourselves from Jesus and not lean into who he is and the person and work that he brings to the table. And so when we look at this day, the answer that you've been looking for, for your family, for your finance, for whatever it may be, isn't in anything that you'll find on this earth. It's actually in Jesus. It's not how, it's who. And the challenge for us is to stay locked into that. So I want to talk about the way this morning. I want to talk about what it means to walk in the way, to walk in the truth, and to live the life that God called us to live. See, he had the right to say that he was the way because he's the only person that lived a life unmarred by sin. He said, I'm it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I'm here to tell you this morning, when we start looking at his way, the way of Jesus is a way of relationship. It's not a way of ritual. It's not a way of routine. It's about getting to know and do life and be immersed in who Jesus is. So we look at this, man. Look at his way. What he was telling his disciples is, I am the way, and my way is motivated and pushed forward by a great love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The way that we should be looking for is the way of Christ. It's marked by faith in who he is. It's marked by the sacrifice of love that he made for us. And it's marked by a confidence that we are in a relationship with the God of the universe. How many of you would categorize yourself as stubborn growing up? I said growing up because I don't want to talk about you now. Let's see them hands again. How many of you, you had to learn by experience advice really wasn't the thing you were looking for? Oh, my people. Bunch of hard heads, aren't we? Most of my life. I have been ministering to students that 
for people that are under the age of 25. And I watch college students come and they go. And I started ministering with eight students looking me in the eye. And this coming fall, we'll be stewarding 8,000 students across the country that God has brought to Southeastern University. Man, the school is just growing by leaps and bounds. And uh, what, I, what I want you to know is as a leadership team led by our president, we're on our face now more than we've ever been before, consecrating ourselves to God, going, Lord, numbers are great, but God, we want to do exactly what's in your heart. Lord, lead us and guide us, right? But I watch these students come in, and I watch them make all of these crazy decisions. I'm like, you know that's a dumb decision, right? You know that this is not the way to find out who you are. And, and there's this, this thirst and this hunger to find out who am I? Who am I on my own? Apart from mom and dad, what's my faith? What do I actually believe? Who am I? And I watch this, and sometimes I watch it in high schoolers. And I watch them as they go through rebellious phases and they make decisions that put their parents in positions where they have to, they have to somehow navigate this behavior that's causing all sorts of trouble. I know because I was that kid. And here's what I tell the students when I talk to them, when I preach to them, when I'm mentoring them, I look them in the eye and I say, here's the deal. If you want to know who you are, you first have to discover who Jesus is. Man, if you want to know who you are, you have to understand who Jesus is. And the answer to the question of who am I is Jesus. When we begin to look and say, man, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, Jesus is the one who can rescue me from myself. Sir, Jesus is the one that can break the addiction that's been holding on to you. I prayed with a mother who has a grown son. She's crying at the altar this morning, and she goes, I've been pleading the blood over my son who's controlled by uh, substances. And I said, man, let's pray again. Let's call by name, because I don't know how it'll be broken, but I know who can break it. I know who can set you free. Amen? This is, this is the essence of the gospel. It's not what we possess, it's who we know. Man, when I look at the way of Christ, here's what I see. I see it begins with faith. Verse 1, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. The essence of walking in the way of Christ is having this, this belief God, you are who you say you are. And if you're new to this and you want to find out for yourself, just Google search the seven I am statements in John. See what comes up. I'm the bread of life. I am the shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the vine and you are the branches. What you're going to hear is he is our source of life. He is our source of protection. He is our source of provision. And when you try to do life apart from Jesus... You live a fraction of what he's called you to live. Amen? Amen? The way of Christ, the way of grace. One of the things you'll rarely, if ever, hear out of me is a legal, legalistic, judgmental kind of proclamation over someone else's life. I've been given so many things that I don't deserve. I've made more mistakes than I should be allowed to make, and yet God's grace covers us. And I think that, man, we should be people that walk in the way of faith, who walk in the way of grace, who walk in the way of living the gift that God's given us. Amen? Amen. So we walk in the way, the way of faith. Later on in 15 and 16, this whole conversation that Jesus has, we're looking at four verses. It's like two chapters in John. 
and he keeps talking to them in 15 and 16, he describes his way even more. He says, hey, if you love me, you'll what? You'll obey my commandments. He who obeys my commandments, my father will love him as well. He goes on and says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me, you abide in me, I'll abide in you. I'll remain in you. You'll bear much fruit. I am the source of your life. The way that Christ called us to live was connected intimately to him. So the second thing he says, I'm the truth. Now you can imagine, Thomas had these questions. Lord, how, I don't know where you're going. How am I going to find you there? Can you imagine what was going through his mind for him to hear the stories of Jesus hanging on the cross and them yelling at him, oh, if you are the son of God, come down, show yourself. They're mocking him. And Jesus wanted them to know and have the confidence up front that, listen, no matter what you may hear, no matter what you may think, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the one that will lead you to God. And I've got to go do this. Can you imagine? There was no better place for Jesus to be, no more powerful place for him to go than to go to the cross for the men he was leading and for the lives that he would touch today. And he wanted them to know, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The Bible says this about the enemy. It says that the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he what may devour. Also refers to him as the accuser of the what? The brethren. That the enemy is the one. Anybody ever wake up in the middle of the night when you're dealing with some heavy stuff? You're like, you're, you, you could be cold asleep, and the next thing you know, you are absolutely, you're wide awake and the, the thoughts that you've been worrying about all week long are on your mind. Let me see your hands. Come on. Yep. Hap happened to me last week. My son is a lifeguard at Gandy Pool. Gets up every morning at 4 a.m. I told him there are better jobs, son. 4 a.m. That's early. If you don't have a fishing pole or a gun in your hand to shoot something, I don't understand why you'd get up that early. And he comes out, and you should have seen the shock on his face. His dad's sitting on the couch. I've been up since 3.30. I was dealing with a problem at work that I couldn't figure out, and I started to, to, instead of leaning into Christ first, I started to think, man, this is on my watch. I, I, I can't let this happen. I'm going to look bad if this happens this way. I've got to figure this out. So at 3.30 in the morning, I wake up, and this problem is right in the front of my mind. I've got to fix it. I've got to fix it. And, and all of a sudden, I hear these phrases, yeah, you, see, this, you're in over your head. You can't figure this out. You're in over your head. And then I knew exactly who I was dealing with in that moment. And before my feet hit the ground, this is what I did. I said, Father, I don't accept that phrase. You have ordained my steps and put me where I'm at. Lord, I ask you to give me a peace that doesn't make sense. I'm up at 3.30. I might as well talk to you for a little bit. And, Father, I want you to remind me of who I am and who you are because you lead us and guide us where we're supposed to go. And that feeling immediately went away. I was wide awake. I was like, all right, let's go sit on the couch. I prayed for a while, read the scripture. My son finally got up. And, and I'm, I'm saying that to you to say this, that to walk in the truth of Jesus Christ is not a one-time experience at an altar 30 years ago. It's a daily experience where you remember who he's called you to be. And I want to read a couple of scriptures. In fact, I'll just refer to them because of time. 1 Corinthians says that those that call upon his name, that he gives you the right to become sons and daughters of the living God. He says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. He said that we are priests and kings, that we are heirs with him, him, that we rule, that we're no longer enemies of him. He calls us friend. 
And yet the devil tries to tell us you're the sum of your bad decisions, that you are all of those things. You can't do this. You can't live up. You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough father. You're not a good enough provider. And the Lord says, that's all a lie. Just walk in the truth. And how do you find the truth? You go to God's word and you simply stand on that. It doesn't shake. It doesn't turn around. What would it look like, dads, if we all just went to scripture first and we stood on that in front of our sons and our daughters and we just said, hey, here I am. And when we make a mistake, we lean in and go, hey, I blew it. That's not the way of Christ. I ask your forgiveness. I want to be a better model. But man, when I blow it, you're going to see me ask for forgiveness. Man. Let's walk in the truth. The truth is we're broken and we've been redeemed by Christ. The truth is at any given moment, we could make a stupid decision and, make, and let sin come right back in. And what we do with that, the truth is, if you've made a mistake, confess your sin, turn from it, and walk back to God. Amen. We're not perfect people. We're people of grace. Amen. We're children of God. Amen. The truth is that he snatched us from the fire. And he set our feet on a solid rock. And he said, I got a purpose and a plan for your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell everybody else I'm the way. Tell everybody else the truth. Tell everybody else that I am the life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You might have abundant life. And what happens to us as believers oftentimes, and maybe it's just me, this, is a, this message really is, is a part of my heart right now because I always find myself drifting, right? And I always have to come back and recenter myself and go, no, 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 I'm a child of God. I'm broken, I'm redeemed. This is what God's called me to do. Let's stay grounded right here, Chris. You're really good when your head's down and your shoes are off. And what I mean by that is when I'm humble and I'm holy, I'm at my best, When I start to believe the news clippings about me, I get in real trouble. But my wife is always there to straighten me out. Am I just preaching to me or y'all all all right this morning? We good? Okay. Because this idea of, of walking in the life that he's called us to. And the way to wholeness is through Jesus. The way for forgiveness is through Jesus. The way for breaking the chains of addiction is through Jesus. The truth about who you are is that you are a child of God. You are capable of doing so much more good than you could ever imagine. You are his chosen person. Ephesians says you're my masterpiece. Hey, look to the person beside you and say, I'm his masterpiece. Go on. Go on. It's just the truth. It's the truth out of Ephesians. Man, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have a plan. That's the truth about your life. Now, here is the life that he's called us to live. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of provision. So in chapters 15 and 16, Jesus goes on and says this. He says, hey, I got to go, but I'm going to send someone in my place, and he'll be with you all of the time. And it's the Holy Spirit. And when I leave you, and I go back to the Father because I'm preparing a place for you. And by the way, that that actually is a, 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 uh, the the context of that comment, I go to prepare a place for you, actually has its grounds in the Oriental. 
Because what it talks about is where families all live under one roof. And there are rooms in the houses where the extended family lives and everybody gathers together. That's the picture that Jesus has. He's not in a gated house down at the end. He's like, no, 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 we're all under the same roof. We're, we're doing this together. I'm building a place for us. And so what he talks about in this, in this idea is that when I go to do this, I'm going to send you the comforter. And he's going to bring peace to you. He says, peace I give to you, peace I leave with you. He says, but the comforter is going to bring into your remembrance all the things that I've ever said to you. He's going to remind you of what I've taught you. He's going to give you power. Listen to the life that God gives you and I. A guilt-free life with a promise of his peace, of his protection, and his provision. You feel good about that? I feel good about it. When I look down and go, God didn't just call me to a place and leave me. He's met me in that moment. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with some things of your family, if you're a young person and you're here and you've been a knucklehead, welcome to the club. We're a room full of them. But at some point, here's the difference between me and some of my friends who are incarcerated this day. There came a moment in my life where I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And man, I wish I could look at you and go, I'm going to draw a line right down the center. And I'm going to go, that was the day. And I always got it right after that day. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm still trying to figure this path out. But God is growing me. When you begin to lean in and go, I don't know how, but I know who. I'm going to lean into Jesus. And God, I'm going to trust that I am who you say that I am. And I'm going to follow your way because I want the life that you've promised for me. Well, then what you have right there is the answer that you've been waiting for. It's the answer that you've been searching for. You may not feel it because your marriage is messed up right now. But I'm going to tell you right now, we serve a God who can show you a way back. You might be in a moment where you are on the outs with your family because you've been acting crazy. And guess what? God God will show you a way back. Why? Because that's what he does. That's who he is. He restores. He brings life. Can you say amen? Amen. So, I don't know how God can deliver you from where you are. But I know who. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask the band to come back. And it's what, what I call landing the plane. I think that the gospel always calls us to a moment of decision. I think the gospel always calls us to a place where we say yes, where we say no, because maybe it's a no. The thing about following Jesus is that it is all in. It's all in. It doesn't work if you try to do it on Sundays or Wednesdays. And I've got so many friends that They try to lean in just when they have problems. And I'm not saying that God doesn't answer people uh, when they're in their their, their weakest moment. I think he does. But I know to live the life that he calls us to live, it's an all-in mindset. that said, God, I'm yours. And so if you're here and you're in this room, maybe you were invited or maybe you came with your spouse and this really, you'd rather be somewhere else. This morning, God knew you'd be here. God knew I would be speaking, and he knew what I was going to say to you. And so here's our moment. If you'd stand to your feet, everybody looking around. We're going to take a couple of minutes this morning, and uh, some friends are coming to the altar. So here's what we want to do. If you're here and you're far away from God, you say, Chris, this idea of, of him giving peace, 
Man, my life's just broken. Man, I'm tired of running. I've tried it my way, and it doesn't work. It's wrecked my family. It's wrecked my physical health. Man, I, I want to try God. The Bible, the Bible says he's not afraid of that. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lean into him and say, God, I'm here. I want what you have for me. So if that's you and you're in the room, here's what I'd like you to do is just acknowledge that, man, you want to pray with me. You want to take that next step and say, God, I want to come back to you. Or Lord, I want to follow you for the first time. This is what I want to do. So if you're in the room and that's you, I want you to lift your hand right where you are as just a sign to say, yep, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep, in the balcony. Who else? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm not being sexist at all, but I'm going to tell you right now, when a room full of dudes start raising their hands, I feel really good about life. Amen? We need godly men. We need godly men. We need men that are going to say, man, I'm going to walk this thing out. Hey, if there's anybody else, I'm going to give you a second round. Man, you want to come on in? Just lift your hand where you are and let me see it. We're going to pray together, and then the next step will be on you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. The whole church is going to pray a prayer. And then here's my, my suggestion to you. Don't try to make this decision alone, right? In just a minute, I'm going to call some other people, give them an opportunity to come down for prayer. Come down for prayer and simply go, hey, I raised my hand to follow Jesus again, or I came back home and I made that decision today. And my friends down here at the altar, they're going to help you right? They're going to say, hey, here's what we know, reading scripture. Here's how we can come alongside of you. We've got support groups for anything you may need, but right now we're just celebrating with you because you came back to Jesus. So let's pray that prayer right now, right? Let's do it. Pray with me. Dear Father, thank you that you are the way, that you are the truth, and that you are the life, that you called us to live a full life with hearts full of peace and hearts full of joy. So this, morning, so this morning, we say, I believe in you. You are the son of the living God. I ask you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be my way, to be my truth, and to be my life. In your name we pray. The Bible says that if anybody asks forgiveness of their sins and they call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. The Bible says that heaven is rejoicing because you made a decision this morning that you wanted to come home to the Father. Church, can you put your hands together and can we say praise God for that? It's so good. It's so good. Now, here's the fun, here's the, is honestly, my favorite part about our community. If you are here and you're going through some stuff in your life, here's what I can tell you you can expect. Smiling people who won't judge you who will pray and come alongside of you and offer all the support they possibly can. We call that the church, and Victory does that really, really well. Amen. And so if you're here and you're in this place this morning and you might be going through something, God forbid it's the loss of a loved one or loss of a child, but if that's it, man, these people have been waiting to pray with you and stand with you. And I've watched moments like this where God supernaturally comes in, and the scripture calls it this, he gives a peace that doesn't make sense to normal people because it comes from God. He can speak life into your troubled waters right now. If you've been worried about something, you're going, you know what, Chris? This has consumed me. I'm not walking in his way, the way of faith. I've been walking in doubt and uncertainty. Man, if it's physical, it's financial, it doesn't matter. 
If you're in this room today and you want somebody to pray with you, I want you to step out from where you are right now. Come on down. doesn't mean you're, you're weak, you're less than us. It means you're smarter than all of us. You know where your strength comes from. It comes from the Lord. So they're going to sing over you, and, and we just want to wait just a, maybe a couple minutes. Come on down. Come on down, and they're going to pray with you, and then I'll come back and we'll close out together. So as you, look, as you look around, it's a Sunday morning, we're Americans, and to walk down the aisle in front of all these people and go, hey, I just want somebody to pray with me. There's a lot of people that stay in their seats because they just don't want to do that. I don't want people thinking poorly of me. And scripture just simply says, if any among you is sick, call for the elders and let them lay hands on them and pray the prayer of faith. And so what we do this morning is, is just, I think it's the work of the church is to lay hands on one another, to pray this prayer of faith and go, God, we believe that you can touch, you can restore, you can heal. And so, man, I just, I just want you to continue to pray for those that answered the altar call this morning. Throughout this week, I just want to pray that God will bring it up to you. 
in your mind at lunch one day or somewhere else. And you go, you know what, God, for everybody that responded Sunday, Lord, I pray the same power they felt on Sunday, they'd feel on Wednesday. God, I pray that over them. Man, that's just being the church, amen? So I want to remind you of something before I, I, uh, I dismiss you in prayer. And if you're praying, keep praying. But I want you, to, I want you to, just to hear the words from my heart that there is no one else like you on the planet, that you are a unique expression of God that does not exist anywhere else, that he ordered your steps, he gave his life for you, and if you were the only one, he would have done it. Scripture says he left the 99 and go after the one. That is our God. And so this week, I pray and speak a confidence over your life that you've never experienced before. Confidence in your heavenly Father that he'll provide, that he'll give you peace, that he'll protect you. I pray that you would walk in a joy this week. Lord, there'd be a lightness in your step and that though you may be going through some dark times, that the peace that makes no sense to the world would be yours and you would possess it and you would walk in that life. So let's pray that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my family this morning. I pray for the best week ever. God, I pray that the anointing of God would flow on us, in us, and through us, that we would walk in your way, that we would live in your truth, and that we would live the life you've called us to live. God, you are the answer that we've been looking for. Let your name be on our lips, and let our hearts be yours forever. And everybody in the church said, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. If you're praying, keep praying. Thanks for being a part of Victory.